morning, church. Wah, 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 wah. Wah, 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 wah. I think that might be the most challenging. I probably tell you this every month or whatever. That's the most challenging thing is to try and figure out how do I communicate to Kid Nation in a way that's helpful to them. Um, just because it's, it's a different brainwave. So anyway. Good morning, church. Good morning. Hey. Um, we're in the very middle of a series that we've been calling Where Do I Fit? And can anybody give me some ideas about what we've been talking about? I want to do a little bit of a review before we, before we dive in this morning. What's up? The way we're talking about, about the, the traits. Mm-hmm. Yep. About why you said about the genes that makes us our own, like... Yeah, God makes each of us individual. Yeah, we each have individual traits that God gives us when we're born, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Any other ideas? Special abilities. So God gives us the things that we're born with, and then he gives us more special abilities on top of that when we turn to trust Jesus, right? Spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. Great. Now, what's the point of spiritual gifts? To use them? To share it with others. Man, you guys are on point. So we've been talking about where do I fit, and, and we get this tension sometimes, and we've, we've talked about it a couple of times, where we're born into a family, and we know that we belong to the family, but we don't quite feel like we fit in. And so we've been asking the question, if we come and are reborn into God's family, how do we fit in to God's family? We know that we belong because God wants us there. But sometimes it feels like we don't necessarily fit. We're a little bit different from the other people around us. And so we struggle to know how do we work together, right? And so we started um, explaining that God gives us supernatural diversity for everybody's good. He, he comes in and he makes us even more different, makes us more diverse, gives us spiritual gifts so that everybody has something, A, to contribute, and B, to receive, and then we turned and said that God makes the diverse parts of his body, all the separate individual parts, serve and suffer together. That even though we all have a place, like we all have the same mission, right? And does anybody remember what our mission is? What's our, what's our statement that we're evaluating our gifts by? Jesus is Lord. We're using our gifts to declare in the world that Jesus is Lord. And so God makes the diverse parts, all the diverse parts of the body, work together, serve together, and to suffer together. If your brother's hurting, and even though you don't experience that same kind of pain, because your brother is hurting, you are also hurting in some way or another. We're all connected to each other. And then we talked about last week, the only lasting glue in God's diverse body is... Love. So we took, it felt kind of like a detour, didn't it? We were talking about all these spiritual gifts and how we use them and how we're trying to build each other up. And then we talked about how even if you were the most gifted person ever, but you use your gift in a way that isn't loving to the other people that you're trying to serve, then you're nothing. You're a really expensive, fancy yacht with no water to sail in. Love is the only lasting glue that helps the body to work together. Right? 
We're going to take another step deeper into this conversation, and we're going to get into some real specifics that talk about how the worship gathering looks and what it's for. And we're going to do that by looking at the church in Corinth as a case study. There were some things that was going on with them that Paul wants to address, and we've got a lot to dig through. It's going to be a fun experience together. So would you pray with me before we open God's word? Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for how you move. Thank you for the way that you have moved people to write songs that we can sing back to you. Prayers, confessions of your goodness, of the work that you've done in the world, and of our connection to you. God, we thank you for that opportunity. And Lord, as we pause now to turn to your word, Lord, as we look to go deeper into this conversation, asking where we fit, as we think about a Sunday morning and a worship gathering, Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand your thoughts. Like God, what you have shared clearly here, we would believe. And the things that aren't necessarily clear, God, that we'd be okay with some mystery. This morning, God, we pray that you would lead us and you would guide us into understanding. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, if you're using a story Bible, it's on page 794, and I'm going to turn there to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm going to read first 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 5, if you'd like to read along. Continues. Pursue love. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Let's pause there. We've got plenty to dig through. Um, So the conversation now turns from love and how we express our gifts to one very specific gift and how it's used. And this is the gift of tongues. And to give a thorough discussion of all of the different components of what tongues is would be far beyond the scope of what I could do in 20 or 30 minutes this morning, so I'm not going to do that. But I want to give you a little bit of an overview of what's going on here. What was familiar to the Corinthians, what is... Uh, available in the scriptural text and a little bit of our exposure today because I suspect that each of us has had some kind of an experience with this gift in one shape or another. And so I want to try to avoid the cultural confusion that we might have here and get to what's, what's clear, all right? So tongues is a spiritual gift. It's, that seems clear. It's mentioned here. It's mentioned also in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12 where he's talking about spiritual gifts. This is something that the Spirit of God does in people, in which 
they speak a language that they don't know. They speak a language that they don't know. And there's kind of two ways that we can understand that. The first I would go with is a biblical expression of what that looks like, an example that we have in the Bible as it's described. We see in Acts 2 that um, the disciples are gathered together after uh, Jesus is crucified. They're all hanging out in Jerusalem. They're praying together. And the Spirit of God comes down on the disciples and takes over the room. And everybody in the room starts speaking in tongues, speaking in a tongue. And what they're doing is they're speaking in a language that they don't know. These are, you know, probably uneducated people. They are, they know their native tongue. They probably know Greek because that's the, the, the language that people spoke in the marketplace. But at this time in Jerusalem, all the nations have gathered together for Passover. And so people from all over the world are there in the city. So when God steps into that room and people begin speaking in tongues, they're speaking in a language that they don't know. But the people in the city go, that's, that's my hometown. It's like if I started speaking Ukrainian this morning, you'd be like, I know he doesn't know Ukrainian. Like that guy is not that smart. And yet I can clearly understand that he's speaking the language that I learned first. He's speaking my first tongue. And so God begins a work there in Acts 2 where he gets people's attention, specifically he gets Jewish people's attention, and they go, wow, like what are the, what's going on with these people? Like they really say, well, they must be drunk. It's really early in the day, like maybe this isn't right, like no, 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 like God is doing something particular. And then Peter gets up and speaks, he gives a sermon, he helps them to understand what's going on and calls them to repentance, and 3,000 people come to Jesus, turn and trust him for salvation. An incredible movement. That's one example in the Bible of, of speaking in a tongue. There's another thing uh, that was familiar to the Corinthians and is probably more consistent with our understanding of this gift today, especially as we see it in most of the charismatic churches. Now, I have to give you a caveat here. I can only speak from my experience. I know that some of you guys have had different experiences than me. I know that there is always an exception to every rule and that you can't talk about every single church and what they do in, in a way that's holistic, like you just can't do it. So I ask that you give me grace on the upfront as I just explain to you what's going on. So there's another thing that, we, that is called speaking in tongues where people speak in an ecstatic language. They, they speak in syllables and, and mumblings and it's not really coherent uh, to them and they don't know what they're saying and nobody around them knows what they're saying. It's not something that they're saying to each other. It's something that's a conversation with God. And there's some people who think that that's an angelic language, that that's how angels communicate. Um, and there's some people who would look at that and go, no, they're just babbling. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. It's not a language. Blah, blah, blah. And I don't, I really, really don't want to get into that. There are some really hurtful things that are said in this conversation. I'm trying not to do that because I don't think it's helpful. But that is, a, that is an example of something that was familiar to the Corinthian church. And it wasn't exclusive to the Christian faith. There were, other, uh, there were other religions that used that kind of ecstatic speech that, that people would get together and work themselves up into an emotional frenzy and they would make that kind of a language uh, or do that kind of a speech and that was common for them um, in, in other religions. And then there were people who were coming out of those religions who were now using it in the church as a worship of the true God. And so as we come here, we see that Paul says, pursue love, which on the basis of 1 Corinthians 13, like if you don't have love, you got nothing. So you need to pursue love. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. We want the Spirit of God to empower our ministry, and especially that you may prophesy. 
So we've talked about tongues a little bit. What is prophecy? And the best that I can understand prophecy is that prophecy is telling God's view of the news. When you read Old Testament prophets, they show up in the town square and said, this is what's going on. This is how God sees it. And usually is not a good thing. Usually they're saying, you guys are all living in sin, and God has told you not to live in sin, and if you turn to God, he'll forgive you, but if you don't turn to God, then he's going to destroy you. That's usually how the prophecy went. And most of the time they didn't listen to him, most of the time they strung him up or kicked him out of town or however that went. So prophecy, I think, is the gift of understanding God's perspective on the world and communicating it in a way that people can understand. So he's saying, Pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And now we get into what we're talking about. For the one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him. He utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So the point that he's making here is when you get together in a worship context, when you gather together in a worship, uh, a worship gathering, that's the term that we use, uh, a church service of some kind, you get different people together in a room. He's saying it's better that somebody stands up and speaks clearly in a language that everybody in the room can kind of understand because that way we're all going to be on the same track. We're going to be following together. He's not saying that it's, it's wrong to speak in tongues. He's saying that, that, that that's fine, but you need to understand that when you're doing that, it's a conversation between you and God that nobody else gets to listen into. And so when you gather together, the priority should be on that which is clear and clearly articulated as opposed to that which is unclear. Right? That's really what he's driving at. But he's saying all of these things are gifts. And, and, and especially if you grew up kind of with my background and the Southern Baptist background, like that, all of that conversation just makes you really uncomfortable. And I get that. But I need you to understand, like Paul in the Bible says, I wish that you all would speak in tongues. So there's, some, there's, there's not a, this thing is like evil and, ick, and like just makes me feel weird. Like there's something here. But he wants to point out what the purpose of it is. In the time that you gather together, speak clearly to each other in a way that everybody can understand. <clears throat> and this is why, or this is one of the reasons why we do a fellowship time. We take 10 minutes in the middle of our service and we pray together. We, we ask how each other's doing. We often get coffee or snacks, whatever else we do. But, but that we set aside that time for the body to work together in, in, a, in, a, in, a, um, in an atmosphere of worship. See, there, there are spiritual gifts that are expressed that are, it's not, there are some of you that can pray with another person and, and speak clearly the word of God into that life and the situation, but if I were to ask you to do that from here to everybody, you'd just melt. You couldn't, like, it, that's my, my, my brain doesn't work like that. I don't, that's not how I'm gifted. Like, I just don't want any part of that. But that doesn't mean that you're not an important part of the body. That's, that's the whole thing, especially back in chapter 12. He's saying the parts that have, that we consider having less honor, those we give more honor. Like, they're more important. The parts that you don't see that are working behind the scenes, like, that's actually more important than the person that you can see all the time. Grace, 
you're important, and that's why we give you the fellowship time. If you're a little bit introverted, that time drives you nuts. You're uncomfortable with it. You don't like people coming up and talk to you. You really don't want to like shake people's hands. Like I get it. And I, there are pastors in other churches that tell me all the time, like, why do you waste time with that? People don't like it. It makes guests uncomfortable. And I get that. But I do believe that the Spirit of God moves in those times in a way that I can't predict. All I can do is offer an opportunity for him to do that work. That's why we do that. I'm just saying, in the times that you gather together, build each other up. Speak clearly to build each other up. This isn't, this isn't clicking. <laughs> so the question then is when we come to church, who do we want to build up? If you get our Gazette, which is, which is how we communicate announcements and everything that's going on in the church, if you get that, the question in the Gazette this week was, what do I get out of church? Why do I show up? I, spend, I set aside this time to show up. Like, what am I getting out of it? And every one of us has wrestled with that question at some level. But Paul here is directing our attention to, to a different question. Not, what do I get out of it, but what can I give to the body? to build the body up? Who do we want to build up in the time that we gather together? Do I want to build up myself? Do I, want to, like, do I need a personal like, thing for me? Or am I looking to the good of everybody else too? Who do we want to build up? Because we collaborate to worship God in spirit and in truth. We collaborate and there's a little bit of a nuance that I want to explain here. When I use the word collaborate, that's very purposeful. A collaboration is a, is, is a time where different people with different gifts come together and they collaborate towards a common goal. We've got one purpose that we want to accomplish. We're going to bring everything that we've got to the table to accomplish that one goal. We collaborate. We have to work together. Sometimes I might give you a little bit more space to do what you do. And even though I could do some of it, I'm going to pull back on what I could do so that you can do better. We're, it's a collaboration. We're working together. Oftentimes, we think of church as a cooperation. We want to cooperate to worship God. And I think the, the, the slight difference is that when we cooperate is we come together and we share a little bit for, with each other in order that each of us can accomplish our own separate goals. So if we're cooperating together, like if I'm cooperating with Tyler, Tyler might be trying to do one thing, I'm trying to do another. We'll share some resources so that we can each get to our own goal. But that's not the picture. We're not coming to God, coming together to God to have a personal goal established. We're coming together to collaborate, to declare to the world that Jesus is Lord. We collaborate in worship. We collaborate to worship God in spirit and in truth. And both are necessary. Let's continue reading. Now, brothers, verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air." 
There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Let's pause there. Has anybody ever heard a child trying to learn how to play an instrument? There's a special manifestation of God's grace to get you through that season of life. I learned how to play the tuba in middle school. So blessings upon my parents. Um, between tuba and drums and guitar, like they're, I don't know how, they probably can't hear me even now. Like it's just their ears are gone. <clears throat> But if you, as, as a child is learning to play guitar, they're gaining control over what it is, but, but it don't sound good. It's bad. And it seems like, like the more beautiful the instrument is in the hands of a master, the worse it is in the hands of, an, of a child. Like you, you, there's just some beautiful violin solos out there, and kids just can't at all. It's bad. And so Paul says here, look, guys, if I come to you and I speak in tongues... Like, it's not going to be clear to you. I'll be making noises, but you're not going to understand what to do. I'll be the teacher in the Charlie Brown show. Wah, 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 wah. You won't know what to do. And we know this implicitly because we know if a harp doesn't, if a harp doesn't make distinct notes, then you don't, you don't know what to do. This, I, br- I brought this, and I don't know if I'm actually going to do it. This is a shofar. Um, I bought one of these in Israel, and this is the horn that they would use uh, to call to worship, they would use to call to battle, and those kind of things. I'm not good at this. It's really hard to do. Um, so if, if I were to call you to battle, and the horn... really difficult. But he's, he's making the same point here. If, if you've got a horn out there whose purpose is to call you to battle and nobody plays it well, then you're just going to be standing around like, Who, who's got a sick cow? Like, that's, somebody needs to put that cow down. It's a problem. Instead of going, now let's charge, let's go, I'm ready for battle. They're saying clarity is, is, is more important here. Every language has meaning. And if I don't know the language, then it's not helpful to me. I had the experience, you know, uh, that I recently was traveling in Israel. And it's, it's a strange feeling to, be, to speak English and only speak English in Israel. Because almost everybody around knows enough English to get by. And so if I'm having a conversation with Jesse, I can assume that pretty much everybody in the marketplace knows exactly what I'm saying. And I've got no clue what any of them are talking about. And it's frustrating. When there's a language barrier, it takes a long time. And hats off to those of you who know more than one language. Like, that's incredible. And I wish that I were blessed with, with that, but that didn't happen. I speak English. So he's saying, look, if I come to you, I want to speak in a language that you can understand because we collaborate to worship God in spirit and in truth. If I don't understand the truth, then I cannot also worship in spirit. We need clear directions if we're going to change our behavior. 
I mean, think about it. If, if you, you, we do what we want to do most of the time. We just go through and we're, and we're living our lives and we just do what, what we want to do. And we really have no inclination to change. Like, who likes changing? Yeah, exactly. Nobody likes changing. So if we're going to change, if God comes in and says something like, there's, there's a problem here and you need to change, like, we're not going to change anything unless somebody tells us clearly what we need to do and really why. I don't, I don't want to change. I'm happy with the way my life is working now. It's not great, but it could be worse, right? So we need clear directions if we're going to change our behavior. And he says, I'd rather speak in something that's clear and intelligible. So here's, here's a question. Are we ready to give an explanation for what God is doing in our life? I hear all the time, and it's not a bad, it's not a bad notion, but I hear all the time that we ought to just live our lives in a way that exudes Jesus. That we, we, we go out and we live our lives and we live differently enough from the world that they see us and they go, what's, what's wrong? Like, what's, you're weird. Why are you weird? Right? And, and, and that's, uh, given as a form of evangelism. Like, you're, if, you, if you just live the right kind of life, then your neighbors will want to know what it is that's going on in your life. And I think that that is true and is consistent with the message of the Bible, but you also have to understand that if you get to a point where your neighbor asks you, why are you so different, and you can't give them a reason why, like, I don't know, that's what the pastor told me to do. It doesn't matter. Without a clear explanation of what's going on and why it matters, nothing's going to change. So are we ready to give an explanation for what God is doing in our life? And that's, that's a hard question to answer because we have to think about ourselves. We have to think about, well, what is God doing? What do I understand about what God's doing? How would I explain it to somebody who doesn't value God at all? Are we ready to have that conversation? Let's continue reading. In verse 13, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you were saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So, He's really going over this, which just makes me think that the, the people in Corinth had elevated this gift of speaking in tongues to the highest priority. That they were saying, I'm more spiritual than you because I can do this. And I need more time in the, in the worship gathering to show off how good I am. And they had completely corrupted what this gift of the Spirit, which was designed to edify people, had turned into something else. And so... He's saying, look, I speak in tongues more than any of you. And so if you grew up like I did, that really boggles your mind. The Apostle Paul speaking in tongues? And so what we need to do is remember, 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 remember. There is more diversity in the body of Christ than any of us is comfortable with. 
There are things that people do that are not comfortable to you and nevertheless glorify God in when they're doing them. And so if you grew up in a non-charismatic church, a very formal liturgy where everything is like lined out line by line, you know, blah, 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 blah. we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. We've written out all of our prayers. There's no questions about what's going to happen. Like, and you end up in a, in a body of people that are in a charismatic bent and they just like nothing's planned out. They just kind of make it up as they go. Nothing's prepared. Like that can, you're uncomfortable with that. And likewise, People in the charismatic church that, that grow up and everything's kind of led by the Spirit and we just kind of make it up as we go, look at the other, and they go, they don't, they don't have the Spirit of God. And there's more diversity in the body of Christ than any one of us is comfortable with. Because I know that the Spirit of God can move in any given moment in a clear and decisive way. He can move. Um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Spontaneity. He can move in a spontaneous way and things can happen. But I also know that he can move in a planning situation. If you sit down and submit, like, God, I need, to, I need to plan for this. I need to know what's coming up next. The Spirit of God can guide in that way too. And whichever you choose to do, neither is right or wrong. They're just a different expression of the manifestation of the Spirit if you're submitted to the Spirit. Because there's more diversity than any of us is comfortable with. And so... If we who don't practice speaking in tongues, who don't have the gift, look at the people who have the gift and go, y'all are crazy. I don't get it. And make them feel bad for that. We're doing wrong. We're in sin. That gift was given to us for our good too. And if we have this, and if we are somebody who speaks in tongues and say, well, I don't want to have any part with the people that don't do it because y'all aren't as spiritual as me because you don't have these conversations with God, then you've completely misunderstood what the gift was for. Because the gifts are given for everybody's good and to build up the church. So Paul says, look, I speak in tongues more than any of you guys. You guys think you're so spiritual. I do it more. But when I come to worship, when I come to church, I would much rather speak in a way that's clear so that everybody can understand me than to speak in a way that feels good for me. So I ask the question again, who do we want to build up? Am I just looking to pull something out of, out of the church service for me? Like, no, I didn't get fed today. Or we say, no, what can I contribute? What do I have? What did I go through this week, God? Because I know that you've walked with me through this week, and I know it hasn't always been good, and, and, and oftentimes it's been really, really bad, and I know that maybe that's happening in other people's lives too. So how can I be of use to you when we gather together? How can I translate what's going on in a way that's helpful? Because an experience without an explanation may not be particularly helpful. So there, have you ever had an experience and you just gone, I don't know what that was for. That was a really, really cool experience. I can't explain it at all. And I just, I felt something. I had a feeling. But you don't know how to explain it. Like, it's not particularly helpful. So Paul's saying, look, I, I have experiences with God often, regularly, more than you. And yet, I would rather say something that you can understand and explain. Let's read this last paragraph together. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. 
In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. There's, if, if you're listening, there's something in there that, that might have felt weird as you were going through it. Uh, he quotes uh, this Old Testament passage from Isaiah chapter 28, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Like, wait, I'm, I'm confused. If, if tongues are a sign for unbelievers and they walk into church and everybody's speaking in tongues, like, isn't that a sign for them? Shouldn't they, shouldn't they get it? So what he's saying, he's, this is an Old Testament passage, and it was given to the people of Israel. And these were people who had had many, many prophets who came up and gave him God's view of the news, said, look, this is what y'all are doing. This is how God feels about it. You need to repent or God will destroy you. And this was, that happened all the time. And they just didn't ever listen. And then God wiped them out. And they were surprised by that. But that's their own thing. So what God is saying here is, look, Israel, I'm going to send people who speak in strange tongues to you. I'm going to send people who speak in other languages to you. I will, I will do some, I will work in my spirit in ways that you would just be astonished that it's happening. And still you will choose to reject me. He's saying, look, I'm going to bend over backwards for you, Israel, to try and get your attention, and you're still going to just want to keep doing your own thing. So he says, these tongues are a sign for people that they are stuck in unbelief. And so he says, so when we get together and we worship, if we come in and if, if, if we get together and worship and all of us are speaking in tongues, that's a sign that you would just not be understood. And so if there is an unbeliever, somebody who's outside of the church fellowship that comes in, they go, this is, this is nuts. I don't get it. And yet, if they come in and they understand clearly what's being said and what's being taught and God's word, God's spirit speaks through his word in a clear way and God cuts to their heart. God, God, God is among you people. I get it. I understand. And that's, that's a thing that's actually beyond our control. I, th I think about this often as, as a preacher. Um, and I'm, I'm new to this, eight months maybe. This, not, I don't really get how God does this. But I can sit and I can plan for hours and hours and hours of what to say. And I, can, and I can come up with this, like I make a, a, a nice PowerPoint, I've got an outline here, I've tried to boil things down in a way that you can understand. I put prep work into this. I also trust that God's Spirit will move as I'm actually speaking to you. And what I, don't, what I cannot anticipate is what it is that will cut to your heart. And it's often not the thing that I want it to be. <laughs> There have been so many times where I get to the end of service or get to the end of something and somebody comes up and says, you said this, blah, blah, blah. And it just like, I knew that God wanted me to do this other thing. And in my head I'm going, that wasn't the point at all. Like, I don't even, I vaguely remember saying something about that. Like, why? I don't know. I don't know why God does it that way. Maybe it's to keep me humble because I think I'm so smart. I got it all put together. And God's like, yeah, I'm going to use that other thing. I'm going to use the Charlie Brown reference. Like, okay. 
Whatever you want to do, God. Consider the people who are guests in our gathering. What does what we do communicate about who we worship? If a guest can come in and sit down and be ignored and blend in the fabric and they can walk out and nobody even pays any attention to them, what does that communicate about who we worship? If they come in and we see them, we choose to see them, and we choose to serve them for their best interest, what does that communicate about who it is that we worship? Who do we seek to build up? And are we ready to give an explanation for what God is doing in our life? That's why we read John chapter 4 this morning. There's some, there's some background to it, um, but Jesus actually goes out of his way to end up in Samaria. And his disciples are uncomfortable. They don't want to be there. So Jesus sits in the heat of the day. Jesus goes to the well. There's a lady there. Do you want to know who draws water in the middle of the day? Nobody. You know why? Same reason nobody does anything at noon in Florida. It's hot. So Jesus walks up to this well. This lady's here drawing water. That's unusual. The ladies usually come out in the morning and in the evening when it's cool. And they all travel together for safety. This woman's out here by herself. She doesn't want to be seen. She doesn't want confrontation. And so what does Jesus do? He just asks a series of questions. Will you, will you draw me some water? <laughs> what, you're a Jew. You don't want anything to do with me. Why would you ask? You can't even drink out of the, out of the same pitcher that I'm filling out of. It's unclean. Ew. Don't you know that? Well, yeah, but if you knew who I was, then you'd ask me to give you a drink. He's taken her expectation and turned it. Where she's having a conversation about water, he's trying to have a spiritual conversation with her. And he does it just by asking a question. And she, she is listening. Okay. Give me, give me this life-giving water. I never want to thirst again. Yeah, you're so cool. Oh, okay, well, I'll explain it to you and your husband. Mm. Well, I, I'm, I'm not married right now. Yeah, I, I, I know you're not married because the guy that you're sleeping with now isn't your husband, and the two husbands you had before, like, that hasn't turned out real well, is it? And that's why you're out drawing water in the middle of the day. You don't want to be with the other women. Sir, um, I've noticed that you're a prophet. <laughs> Jews say that 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 Jews say that, that we can only worship in Jerusalem, but Samaritans, my people, believe that we can worship on this mountain over here. And every time that you will have a spiritual, try to direct a conversation into a spiritual matter with your neighbors, they will start throwing what we call red herrings. A herring, I think, is a kind of fish. They'll just start lobbing fish out there. Like, I know something spiritual. There you go. Like, chase that, chase that. They'll start talking about anything but what the point is because Jesus has just pointed out, like, you're living in sin 
and you're not happy with the way that goes. Well, yeah, but let's talk about this other issue that's not actually related to me that I don't actually care that much about, but I feel like we could argue over. Politics. And every time that you will begin to have a spiritual conversation with your neighbor about something that matters to them, they will try to throw things out that, that doesn't matter at all. And Jesus just says, hey, the Jews are right and you're wrong, but in the end it doesn't matter because the people who belong to God worship God in spirit and in truth. And there's going to come a day where Jerusalem's going to be gone. Don't matter. What we do today is not eternal. What are you going to do with your eternity? So are we prepared to give an explanation for what God is doing in our life? And who is it that we are looking to build up? Because we collaborate to worship God in spirit and in truth. The Spirit guides us. The Spirit moves in ways that sometimes we can't anticipate. Sometimes we can. But He moves us in the truth of what He has already revealed about Himself. We need the Word. And we also need to understand that we don't understand every part of the Word. And we need God to fill in the gaps, to lead us and guide us as we collaborate to worship Him. again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the internet, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.